Well, I take an artist or a band and listen to their work. Then I put them on a list like a music critic jerk. Then I put them all in order from the best to the worst. But you probably won't like my choice for first. I don't care. You might think this idea is dumb. You're wrong. It's actually random. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Random Album. My name is BC, and thank you for joining me. You know, we are just a few episodes away from rapping. I, I keep saying we. Uh, it's just me hosting the show, obviously, as you figured out for the last 14, 15 episodes. Um, but I say we because my wife, JC, and I do an occasional episode together or an occasional bonus episode and there'll be a couple more with the both of us uh sometime this year but yeah this uh, season one's just about wrapped up where we, we've got i've got three more episodes left for this and thank you for joining me and coming with me on this journey this past season um i got a couple questions that were sent to me uh first question that i received was is there going to be a season two? And the answer is, I really don't know yet. With I've got a lot of things going on uh, personally and not just with the podcast. This has definitely been a stress reliever for me as far as mental health goes. I've got a lot of personal things going on right now as well that is that are really preventing me from trying to get a perfect balance between my personal life and random album so i don't know if season two is happening if it does obviously i'm going to come on here and let you know about it so as far as i know the answer is i don't know uh just stay tuned i'll say something either in the season finale or in upcoming year-end episodes all i'm going to say is stay tuned uh i i'd like to do a season two but i just don't know at this time uh, then the next question that I got was uh, why I haven't talked about the Rolling Stone updated top 500 greatest albums of all time. And I completely understand why I've gotten that question too. And most people would think I would talk about it on the podcast or at least do a show about it. And I'll tell you right now, I have no intention of doing uh, an episode of random album talking about uh, the Rolling Stone top 500 for this year, but I'll definitely put my two cents in on it. Uh, mainly because there are other podcasts that are talking about the top 500. There are YouTube videos that are talking about the top 500 and I promise you they're, they would do a much better job and they have done a much better job talking about this than I would. Uh, but I'll just break it down. Uh, I know that for the first time since they started that list in 2003, there is now only one Beatles album in the top 10, and that's at number five, Abbey Road. Sgt. Pepper had been number one in the 2003 list and the 2012 list. And as of this year, Sgt. Pepper dropped all the way to number 24. And, you know, if you recall the Beatles episode I did with my friend NC a few weeks back, uh, you know I've had Sgt. Pepper at number five on my 
favorite Beatles albums list. And I had the White Album at number one. White Album didn't even make the top 20, which was really surprising. Uh, but I'm not upset over it. Uh, the new number one album on there is Marvin Gaye's 1972 masterpiece, What's Going On. What's my take on that? I love the album. I think it's a very good album. Do I think it is the greatest album of all time? Uh, I don't know. It's definitely up there. It is I, It is up there as one of the greatest albums of all time. The album itself is appropriate for the current social climate that's happening in the United States. But is, is it the greatest album of all time? I don't know. I really don't have an answer for that one. I'm not going to say no, I, but I'm not going to say yes. At least not yet. Not yet. Um, I applaud that there's more diversity on the list now. I love that there's more female-oriented music on the list. Uh, I love that there's more ethnicity in there. But my take on this is part of me believes Rolling Stone kind of sort of half-assed this list. It was like, okay, uh, oh, it's you know, it's by female? Yeah, let's put it here. Oh, it, it's by uh, somebody from this country. Okay, put it here. That's That's basically what I gather from this list. If the top 500 for 2020 is genuine – then congratulations. Good for you, Rolling Stone. You've, you've made yourself relevant again for the first time in uh, 2003. Uh, the, the one gripe I have with it is Harry Styles' new album is one of the 500 of all time. I'm sorry, that's bullshit. It's a great album, don't get me wrong. Uh, but compared to his self-titled debut album, Fine Line kind of sucks. It's not going to be in my worst of list, so don't worry about that. I don't even know where I'm, if I'm where I'm going to put it yet on any of my lists, if if at all. But it's too soon to call it one of the greatest. The only reason it's on there is because Stevie Nicks is praising it, and which would have made sense if it was 1977 and Rumors was still on the top of the charts. But it's not. So, but then again, what do I know? Okay. That's my two cents on the top 500 and season two future. That's all I can say about that for now. Let's get into the episode. I apologize for delaying this episode for the last few weeks. I wanted to make sure that I listened to every single album from this week's spotlighted band thoroughly before I jump the gun or half-ass it like what Rolling Stone kind of sort of did with their updated list. But that's neither here nor there. I want to make sure I give you a genuine list for this week's episode. I know that this fan base is extremely fierce. I know that this fan base is extremely loyal and will defend this band no matter what. And I get it. And I considered that too while I was listening to their albums the last few weeks. But I finally narrowed it down. I... Pretty sure I'm going to anger some of you, but it's my list, and I'll rank how I want to. So with that said, this week's spotlight, finally, will be on the Deftones. As you know, new metal's pretty much a dying breed. All those bands that came about in 2000, and I know Deftones was earlier, but that new metal craze with Linkin Park, Limp Bizkit, Stained, Papa Roach, all that, 
The only bands that are still existing at this day and age are Papa Roach, who ditched the new metal gimmick, and Linkin Park also ditched new metal. And technically, this band that I'm spotlighting, the Deftones, they're not really new metal anymore, but they were pioneers, and they will be recognized as such, even though they have put out far better music over time since they started, and I, I can't argue with that. So, I'm done talking your ear off. Well, actually, I'm not done talking your ear off, otherwise this podcast will be over. Uh, with that said, let's get right into a brief history, brief, of the Deftones. Deftones were formed in Sacramento, California in 1988 when Stephen Carpenter was 15 years old and recovering from being hit by a car while skateboarding. Confined to a wheelchair for several months, he began teaching himself guitar by playing along to bands such as Anthrax, Stormtroopers of Death, and Metallica. The driver supposedly paid Carpenter a cash settlement that allowed the band to purchase equipment. I'm just kidding. That's not really the history of the Deftones. Abe, Cumming, Abe Cunningham commented in a 2007 interview that that was just absolute bullshit. The settlement was simply a myth about how our band was started. <laughs> gotcha. You were, you were drooling, weren't you? Okay, I'm sorry. Here's the real history of the Deftones. Okay, in all seriousness now. Deftones is an American alternative metal band formed in Sacramento, California in 1988. The band is known as one of the most experimental groups to have come from the alternative metal scene and are sometimes dubbed by critics as the Radiohead of Metal. The band's name combines the hip-hop slang term deaf with the suffix tones, which was popular among 50s bands such as Dick Dale and the Deltones. The name is also a pun on the term tone deaf. Formed by Chino Moreno on lead vocals, Stephen Carpenter on lead guitar, Abe Cunningham on drums, and Dominic Garcia on bass, Carpenter, Cunningham, and Moreno were childhood friends as all three went to CK McClatchy High School in Sacramento and remained friends to the city's skateboarding scene. Carpenter was a fan of heavy metal, while Moreno was interested in hardcore punk bands such as Bad Brains and post-punk new wave acts such as Depeche Mode and The Cure. When Moreno found out that Carpenter played guitar, he set up a jam session with Cunningham, who played drums, and the three began playing regularly in Carpenter's garage around 1988. They recruited bassist Dominic Garcia sometime after, and the band became a four-piece. When Cunningham left Deftones to join Fallacy, another band from Sacramento, Garcia switched to drums. Chi Ching joined to play bass, and the band recorded a four-track demo soon afterwards. John Taylor replaced Garcia on drums in 1991 until Cunningham's return in 1993. Within two years, the band began playing club shows and later expanded their gigging territory to San Francisco and Los Angeles, where they played shows alongside bands such as Korn. While closing for another band in LA after the majority of the audience had left, the band impressed a Maverick Records representative and they were signed to a label after performing three of their songs for Freddie DeMann and Guy Ossery. The band's debut album, Adrenaline, was released on October 3, 1995 and was produced by the band and Terry Date, who would go on to produce the band's next three albums, Around the Fur in 1997, White Pony in 2000, 
and their self-titled release in 2003. Rather than work for Date in 2006, excuse me, work with Date, their producer for many years, Deftones decided to record with Bob Ezrin on their fifth studio album, Saturday Night Wrist, released on Halloween 2006. They spent the majority of 2006 and 2007 touring around the world in support of the album, performing in North America, Europe, South America, Japan, and Australia, as well as performing on such tours such as The Taste of Chaos, Family Values Tour, and the Soundwave Festival. In the fall of 2007, Deftones started recording what was planned to be their sixth studio album, Eros. It was on November 4th of 2008 that Chi Ching was seriously injured in a car accident in Santa Clara, California, and as a result of the injuries sustained in the crash, he remained in a minimally conscious state. On June 23rd, 2009, Deftones announced on their official website that Eros would be delayed indefinitely. Meanwhile, on May 4th, 2010, Deftone's sixth album, Diamond Eyes, was released, this time produced by Nick Reclusinix, and in contrast to Eero's dark and aggressive nature, the band took a more optimistic approach both lyrically and sonically. Kori no Yokan was released on November 12, 2012, and tragedy struck the band on April 13, 2013, as despite making a partial recovery and returning home, Chi Ching died in a hospital in his hometown in Stockton, California, after falling into cardiac arrest. It had been more than four years since his 2008 accident. Moreno announced in May of that same year that Eros, shelved in 2008 after Ching's accident, was now more likely to be released following his death. Deftones' eighth album, Gore, was released on April 8, 2016, and their most recent release, Ohms, was released on September 25, 2020, this time reuniting the band with Terry Date, whose last per time producing the band was 2003's self-titled album. And now that you know a brief history of the Deftones, let's get into the rankings, shall we? Kicking off our countdown at number nine is a little unfortunate for a couple of reasons. One, this would be the first Deftones album not produced by Terry Date. And in a more tragic note, this would be the final Deftones album to feature Chi Ching on bass. And it's really a shame because compared to their previous material, the album I have at number nine is what I believe to be the weakest Deftones album on the list. Not terrible, not the worst, just the weakest. There's really no such thing as a bad Deftones album, but there is such a thing, unfortunately, as a weak Deftones album. I'm talking about the album released on Halloween 2006, Saturday Night Wrist. This, of course, in the background is the first single off of it, and sales were propelled thanks to the first single, Hole in the Earth. Saturday Night Wrist was the product of an arduous and stressful creative process lasting roughly two years and straining relationships within the band, including frontman Gina Marino's drug addictions and the crumbling of his marriage. Despite that, the album was met with critical praise, but 
Oh man. Oh man. You know, they were right. This was also rushed as well because of lackluster sales of their previous album, the self-titled release in 2003. And it's really unfortunate because my God, the self-title was a far superior record. And Saturday Night Wrist, as I said, not a terrible album, has its highlights. Hole in the Earth, despite being a top 10 hit, was not one of those songs. My favorite song on the album, Cherry Waves. That's the only song on there that seriously I get chills still listening to the to, listening to to this very day. Great song, probably the best song on the album, as I've said, and one of my favorites, despite having Saturday Night Wrist at the bottom of my list. Uh, another standout was Mine, M E I N, or Main, like Chow Main. How you pronounce it? Mine, Main. It's not a grammar episode. It's a podcast episode on Deftones. And it featured Chop Suey enthusiast, System of a Down lead singer, Serge Tankian. And honestly, yeah, aside from those and the instrumental up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, select, start. Uh, great instrumental, by the way. It really was disappointing. And there's one particular song on the album. I'm not going to play any of it. Uh, Pink Cell Phone is probably, dare I say, the worst Deftone song of their entire library. And I know, I know the Rabbit fan base is probably going to come at me on this in the next few days as soon as they listen to this episode. If I'm wrong, oh well, it is my it's my opinion. It's not carved in stone. I just believe Pink Cell Phone is a disappointment. And it doesn't help that the last minute and a half, uh, like I said, I'm not going to play the song, but there's a bit of explicit dialogue in that last minute and a half where Annie Hardy from Giant Drag talks about anal sex, blowjobs, and... The results of that being the reason that the English have awful teeth. If you're listening in England, and I know I've got some listeners in that country, thank you for listening, by the way. So if you're listening to this and offended, don't come at me. Go at, go after the Deftones. Go after Annie Hardy. They're the ones that uh, wrote those lyrics, not me. I'm just telling you what the last minute and a half of Pink Cell Phone is about. So, Yeah. I don't really have much to say about this one. Um, yeah, despite that, oh man, lot of touring from 2006 to 2007 on this one. And it was a top 10 debut on the Billboard 200 charts. Uh, over 76,000 copies, which was a huge decrease from the first week sales of their previous two releases, which we will talk about in just a bit but let's move right along because i don't have much else to talk about 
as far as Saturday Night Risk goes. So coming in at number eight, the debut album Adrenaline, which was released on October 3rd, 1995, and recorded at Bad Animal Studio in Seattle, Washington. This would be the first album produced with Terry Date. Now, a lot of people have this at the bottom of their lists. I can sort of see why most of the songs on here are forgettable. But when you get to, uh, well, let's start with the opening track, Seven Words. Okay, I apologize for that. Uh, Bored is the opening track. My mistake. But Seven Words is a damn solid track, too. I mean, take a listen. The album was considered to be a flop upon first release, but the band had built a dedicated fan base through extensive touring, word of mouth, and of course, in the early days, internet promotion was what really helped this album come into a better light. And with all these efforts, they went on to sell 220,000 copies at the by the end of 1994, and is regarded as an important part of the 1990s new metal movement. As of this year, the, the debut album has been certified platinum a little over a million copies sold since its release back in 1994 again most of the songs are forgettable i will give you that so why do i have it higher than saturday night wrist well i would rather hear songs like nosebleed than songs like pink cell phone ever again if that answers your question It's not a great album. I will give you all that. It's not a great album. But, you know, as far as history's sake goes, this basically was the intro to Deftones as far as their fan base is concerned. As far as I'm concerned, their debut album, I think, still holds up. I mean, compared to, say, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water by Limp Biscuit or... Mm, even lesser known new metal acts like uh, Systematic or Spine Shank. Yeah. Uh, I would rather listen to Adrenaline. I think it's a much better album compared to those albums I just listed off. And with that said, we're going to move right along. We're going to keep going at number seven from 2016, Gore. The origins of this album go all the way back to, 20, to March of 2014 while Morena was touring with his side project, Crosses, in support of their self-titled release. Uh, recordings went as far back as late 2014 and early or early 2015, I should say. 
And honestly, I really, really like this album. In fact, I had it in my top five for 2016, which I've, if I can ever dig up that list, I'd be glad to share it one of these times, but I can't find it right now. But it was in my top five in 2016, but honestly, I've kind of soured on it over the years. It just, over the last few years, it just hasn't held up as well, with the exception of one song in which I will, I'm this, this is not a promotion. I'm actually drinking the IPA based off this song, Phantom Bride. Wow. I think that's a first for me. I'm actually drinking Phantom Bride IPA while listening to Phantom Bride. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a hell of an experience for sure. It's very mellow, just like the IPA. And I'm not the biggest IPA guy. But I have to say, Phantom Bride IPA from the Deftones and Belching Beaver Brewing Company. Again, not a promotion. I just really love the beer. And while we're on the subject of Deftones and beer, this is uh, one of three IPAs that the Deftones had worked with Belching Beaver Brewing Company. You had uh, Dia de los Deftones in 2010, I believe. And this year, in commemoration of the 20th anniversary of White Pony, there was also a White Pony IPA that was released a couple months ago. Or actually, not a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago just in time for the 20th anniversary of White Pony and the release of Ohms, both of which we're going to talk about a little later today. But honestly, yeah, Gore just, I've, it's not one of my favorites. I didn't like it as much as I used to, despite having it in the top five. There were a couple of other good songs on here, uh, one being the first track on the album, Prayers Triangles. Before I get into one more song off of here that I like, and before we go into uh, number six on our, on my list, I love the album cover, though. That is pretty damn cool with all the flamingos flying around and gore right in the middle of the, al of the album, the title gore in the middle. And you can barely see the title, but it just seems to fit because with, with the barrage of birds for the mellowness and gore, for the heaviness that the Deftones usually stand by. Uh, the album cover is definitely one of my favorites uh, from the band and most of uh, the hard rock acts in the last few years. I do love the album cover. I have to say I like it a little more than I do the album itself. That's Hearts Wires, another track off the album that was released as a single. Uh, it's definitely the most mellow the band has ever sounded. It's not a bad thing by any chance because they've done mellow in the past and it's worked. But 
and the production's great too, but the one thing that was definitely missing from that was Terry Date. And we will be talking about more of Terry Date's work in the next few albums. And when we come back, we will enter the number six spot with an album of theirs that I believe is one of the most underrated albums of the 2000s. You'll find out which one I'm talking about in just a bit. Coming in at number six is an album that was originally under the title Lovers. Regarding that album's direction, Chi Ching commented, quote, We've proven that we can musically go in any direction we want, and we want to get kind of heavy on this one. Unfortunately, Moreno underwent vocal training as a precaution after severely damaging his vocal cords during the band's 2001 summer tour. And I say unfortunately because this album took 12 months and cost roughly $2.5 million to complete. And because of this, the band was fined by Maverick Records for missing deadlines. Well, look no further than May 20th of 2003. Enter the self-titled release. Yes, it was no longer called Lovers, but instead it wound up being a self-titled album released on may 20th 2003 it was their highest charting album at that point at number two and honestly when they say they wanted to go heavy oh my god did they go fucking heavy take a listen to opening track hexagram Yeah, that is pretty fucking heavy when you really think about it. And as I said, number two, it was their highest charting debut at that point. It sold 167 copies, 167,000 copies in its first week and remained on the Billboard Top 100 for nine weeks. And it's all thanks to their leadoff single, Minerva, which honestly does not get as much love as it should because... I think it is one of the best songs on the album and from the Deftones in general. If White Pony introduced Deftones into the mainstream, the self-titled release got them on really big tours, especially in 2003, the summer of 2003, 
as they wound up touring the Summer Sanitarium tour, which was headlined by Metallica, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, and Mudvayne. So that was practically a sellout tour for most of the time they were in the United States. A friend of mine actually went to see them when they were at the former Metrodome in Minneapolis. I'm still jealous to this very day. Uh, as I said, re- reviews are mainly positive. The band's progress, the album's progression and originality just showed that Deftones are one of the very few original bands left in the genre of metal. The new metal genre for them was pretty much gone after Around the Fur. Linkin Park and Limp Bizkit were still dominating that uh, new metal genre, but even Linkin Park evolved from that over the course of the next few years, but that was already taken care of on a previous episode. I really liked this album, and I don't think it gets enough love. Uh, As I said, it's a little heavier compared to their previous three albums, and the, the experimentation is just phenomenal. Uh, one review of this, I still get a kick out of this to this very day. Uh, Pitchfork's review got a lot of controversy because it was, I believe, a 3.7 out of a possible 10 on Pitchfork. The review since then has been replaced with nothing but angry emails from Deftones fans about how low the score was and why they would rate or rank Radiohead's Hail of the Thief so high, which came out about uh, two weeks after Deftone's self-titled release. But that's neither here nor there. I really enjoyed this album. It deserves, uh, it needs to be listened to more. And one highlight, aside from Hexagram and Minerva, uh, it's a very Cure title. And as I said in the uh, history earlier this episode, Chino was into the Cure, and you don't get any cure than the title When Girls Telephone Boys. I never said it sounded like The Cure. But anyway, I digress. Uh, like I said, the title was very Cure. The song, not so much. But yeah, I didn't care for this album when I first heard it. I was so used to White Pony and Around the Fur, and I didn't even get into Hexagram when I first heard it either. But the more I listened to it in the last 10 years, I appreciate Deftone's self-titled release a lot more than I did at the time of release in 2003. Honestly, this deserved so much better than it did. And critics loved it. And I'm sorry, Pitchfork gave it a 4.7. I said 3.7 earlier. But if you look on Pitchfork's website to review the Deftone self-titled, the review is still nothing but angry Deftone fan emails to Pitchfork. And rightfully so. Seriously, Pitchfork, you've you've dropped the ball one too many times. But what can you do, right? 
it's the heaviest album of their career, I believe. And it's a crime that I don't have it any higher than number six. But the reason for that is they have also had better material that is in the top five. And we go right into that from 1997, Around the Fur. The Fur propelled the band to fame in the alternative metal scene. It was on the strength of radio and MTV airplay for My Own Summer, Shove It, which you just heard, and Be Quiet and Drive. It sold 43,000 copies in its first week and entered at number 29, which was also its peak position, and stayed on the charts for 17 weeks. If Adrenaline was a slow buildup, thanks to internet and word of mouth, Around the Fur was what got people uh, remembering the name Deftones at that point. And this resulted in several tours, several festivals, including Warp Tour, which was in the United States and New Zealand and Australia. They also performed the Pink Pop Festival, Roskilde Festival, and a headlining spot in Ozfest that year. It is a really good album from start to finish and one of the best new metal albums of all time. I can't really stress that enough. It's not the best. And, I will, and trust me, the best new metal album is going to be talked about a little later in this episode. At this point, I think you know what it's going to be. But back to Around the Fur. As of 2011, Around the Fur has been certified platinum. It sold a little over a million copies since uh, coming out almost, geez, 23 years ago. It's it's amazing. I feel so old just saying that. Uh, the album included Cunningham's wife, Anna Lynn, uh, who provided guest vocals on the closing track, MX. And the album was also dedicated to Dana Wells, who is the late stepson of the of singer Max Cavalera from the band Sepultura, Soulfly, and Cavalera Conspiracy. He also collaborated on Head Up, a track on Around the Fur, which was a tribute to Wells. It 
It is a great album. It is definitely one album in 1997 that really got the ball rolling as far as new metal goes. I know Korn had already made their name known with their self-titled and Life is Peachy at that point. But in 1997, in addition to Around the Fur, you also had Limp Biscuits' debut album $3 Bill, y'all, which is still considered to be one of the all-time great new metal albums. But sonically, production-wise, Around the Fur is the better of the two albums I just mentioned that came out in 1997. I can't really stress that enough. This was basically where the Deftones were heading at this point. They were heading into the right direction. It would be a few more years before they dropped the new metal gimmick. But at the end of the day, uh, this is definitely on the list as far as the Deftones are concerned. I should also point out that Around the Fur is also Chino Moreno's favorite Deftones album of all time. In fact, he has considered that his personal favorite. And the reason for that is this. He says, quote, Honestly, I still think Around the Fur will always be my favorite record. And one of the main reasons why, for one, we were pretty young. We were probably late, maybe mid-20s then, something like that. But we were on fire. The Adrenaline record, I never really liked that record too much. I still sort of toggle with just like, I appreciate it for what it is. Obviously, it's like we were very naive and sometimes things will shine because it's like they don't know what they're doing, but sometimes there's brilliance in that, I guess. I was like, oh, now we can show people what we can really do. And we were so confident. And honestly, yeah, he also he also said uh, around the fur, there's something about it that's really, really special. And then we had a lot of attention, obviously, but I don't think it affected like as far as in a negative way, at least, oh, we need to do like all that stress of, oh, we need to make something that's going to be up to par. Well, you know something, Chino, I don't think you need to worry that much about being up to par because around the fur is uh, still one of the greatest new metal albums of of all time and one of the best albums of the late 90s. So I don't think, Chino, you have anything to worry about as far as Around the Fur is concerned. So if you've never heard it, please do. It is incredible. And speaking of incredible, we fast forward to 2012 with their seventh album, what I have at number four, Koi no Yokan, which is Japanese for premonition of love. It was praised heavily at the time it's released. Uh, peaked outside the top 10 on the Billboard 200, selling 65,000 copies its first week. So far in the U.S., only sold 200,000. But you're going to find, unlike uh, their previous releases, Koi no Yokan was a bit spacey.
was a little bit of the song Tempest, which the lyrical content uh, was representative to the supposed end of the world, which was supposed to have happened on December 21st, 2012, based on the Mayan calendar. And as we all know, uh, that has not happened. And this wound up being the biggest hit of their career on the mainstream rock charts, peaking at number three, Changing the House of Flies, uh, was surpassed uh, 12 years prior, where it was only a number nine peak. Can you believe that? Wow. Tempest was their highest charting single on the mainstream rock chart. I can't really argue that. It is a damn solid song, and I have to I'm not the only one who thinks that because Consequence of Sound put that at number two for the top 20 best Deftone songs of all time. It's more alternative metal than new metal. And as I've said, they've dabbled in uh, space rock with Saturday Night Night Wrist. They experimented in shoegaze. Koino Yokan focused more on the space rock, as I mentioned with Tempest and awesome stellar tracks like Rosemary. Now, as I had mentioned in the history, Chi Ching was not playing bass on this record. Sergio Vega took over the reins on that while Chi was recovering from his car accident. And a few months after the release of Cory no Yokan, Chi Ching would sadly pass away. And damn, what a shame. I mean, with all due respect to Chi Ching, Sergio Vega really stepped it up on this album and uh, Diamond Eyes, which he also took over at that point in 2010 critical acclaim metacritic gave an 86 out of 100 revolver gave koino yokan the album of the year award at the fifth annual revolver golden gods award show and for damn good reason a lot of people tended to ignore this unfortunately much like they ignored the self-titled release but my god Swerve City? Come on. And the best way to describe the music video for this song, horses, women, guns. That check, check out the video. You'll thank me later. If you ever get a chance to see the video for Swerve City, do check it out. Uh, I think it's a much stellar, tr- uh, stellar album and deserve, much like the self-titled release, deserves much more love than it has over the past few years. I think it's a better album than Gore, uh, 
And I do think it's a much better album than Saturday Night Risk. But at this point, what wasn't as far as Deftones Library goes? And with that said, yeah, we are almost done. We have three more albums. Three. So stick around. And when we come back, we'll get back into it with an album that almost never got released thanks to Chi Ching's car crash. Stay tuned, and you'll find out what I'm talking about right after this. As of this podcast, Deftones have amassed millions of fans worldwide, three IPAs, and nine albums. And the album I have at number three is their ninth and latest album. I am talking about Ohms. Yes, it is actually that damn good that I have it in the top three. And my God, I had high hopes for this when it was announced that they would be releasing a brand new album. And they reunited with Terry Date as the producer of the album, making it the first time Deftones have worked worked with him since the unreleased Eros album, or as far as released albums go, the self-title from 2003. But they had also mentioned there'd be hints of White Pony, and they really didn't disappoint. It is a fucking great album. And expect Ohms to be on my Rand Dozen for 2020 when we do that show later on this year. Sometime in December, we're going to have the Rand Dozen of 2020 where we count down the best of the year. Me and my wife, JC, will be uh, counting down our lists and Ohms is definitely going to make the cut. And what you're listening to is the opening track off the album, Genesis. It's completely different from their previous work. More dream poppy. But if you're wondering about the metal, don't worry, it's there. It's really there. As of this week, Ohms cracked the Billboard Top 200 this week. It peaked at number five. It is their fourth top ten album after White Pony, the self-titled release, and Saturday Night Rest. It And it really deserved it. I think it should have been number one. Sorry, Machine Gun Kelly. Well, actually, I'm not sorry, Machine Gun Kelly. Ohm should have been the number one album. But I'm not going to rant about this week's Billboard Top 200s list. I'm talking about Ohms, and my God, it is such a great album from start to finish. For those of you wondering about the metal, it's there. For those who love the mellowness of it all, yeah, it's there too. And it also is the first Deftones album which Stephen Carpenter utilizes a nine-string guitar. They're even doing an Adopt a Dot based on the album cover of Ohms. As you can see, it's multiple dots looking like uh, crying eyes. I think someone's screaming in one of the eyes. I'm just looking at the album cover. It's fucking solid. It really does not disappoint. Uh, they The first singles they went with were the title track, which ends the album. 
Then they followed up with Genesis, which begins the album. But my favorite song on here, and appears to be the fan favorite on the album too, is Radiant City. Now, I gotta tell you, when listening to the Deftones albums these last few weeks, leading up to the new album, doing these random album rankings are not easy. And when it comes to a band like Deftones, you've really got to listen to each album multiple times. That includes a new release. And I have listened to this enough times to be confident that Ohms earned its spot in the top three as far as their library is concerned. Where it's going to rank in my top 12, I don't know. Like I said, there's a ton of albums that have been out there. I'm not going to be able to listen to all of them because it's impossible, but Ohms is definitely going to make the cut. And one other highlight on here, the track Ceremony just fucking crushes. I think the one song off of oh, off the new album that I was not the biggest fan of was Headless. I mean, it's grown on me, but I think that is my least favorite. Otherwise, a 10-track album go, going over 46 minutes, it's damn solid. And the title track, uh, not their best work either, but to introduce you to a new album, I thought it worked. I am so glad Terry Date returned as producer of this album, and I am so glad this is reminiscent of White Pony. And yes, I know I'm kind of sort of spoiling what's number one, but you've gotten this far, so shut up and keep, stop whining. We're gonna we're getting to number one, so hang in there. Ohms, fucking awesome. Definitely gonna earn a spot in the Rand Dozen of 2020. And with that said, on to number two. Diamond Eyes, and this was the album that almost did not get released. This was supposed to be uh, the Eros album, but thanks to Ching's car accident, that was up in the air. Well, thanks to Nick Roskolinix, who also produced Koino Yokan, Diamond Eyes was almost not released because it was scheduled for April 27, 2010, and then pushed back to May because there had been internet leakage uh, as far as this album goes. So it finally was released on May 4th as a result. And Eros was supposed to be dark and aggressive. And this is more uh, optimistic as far as the lyrical content and the, sonic, the sonics of Deftones. Diamond Eyes, I have at number two. It peaked at number six on the Billboard 200 charts in 2010, and my God, it was 
just a beautiful album from start to finish. I really enjoyed it. And with Cheeching out, Sergio Vega in on bass. Vega, I got to give him props. It was a tough act to follow, especially with Ching's accident and coma. But Vega, welcome to the team. You really, you really, really delivered. And Diamond Eyes was definitely one of the best albums of the 2010s. The song you just heard was You've Seen the Butcher, and if you've ever seen the music video for You've Seen the Butcher, it is grim as fuck. And with a title like that, yeah, it kind of has to be. Uh, the title track you heard earlier before that as well. Uh, my favorite track on here, I have to go with Rocket Skates. It doesn't seem to get enough love or airplay nowadays, but I, I think it was a diamond if you will in the rough of the album that was diamond eyes As far as alternative metal albums go, Diamond Eyes was just absolutely beautiful it was more positive and even with chi in a coma at that point it i mean it really was heartfelt in most of these lyrics and i i have no doubt chi was proud of what was accomplished and what was released as far as diamond eyes goes now he chino has said that eros would be released at some point I think I am preaching to the choir and side with the majority of Deftones fans that, yes, I would love to hear what the Eros project could have been. So if that ever gets released, ooh, man, that I got, I got a feeling it's going to be gangbusters for sure. But uh, we don't have a release date on that yet, and that's, that's fine. Let us soak in ohms, and you soak in sex tape. Wait, that didn't sound right, did it? And by uh, sex tape, I mean the ballad off of Diamond Eyes. <clears throat> Say what you will, even with a title like Sex Tape, when it comes to love songs, Deftones fucking get it. They're one of the very few metal bands that get the idea of love, despite what purists might think. Deftones get it. If you just focus on the lyrics, if you listen to the lyrics, pay attention to the Diamond Eyes album and songs like Sex Tape and uh, Ceremony, which I played off when talking about Ohms earlier. Deftones are solid when it comes to love songs in the metal genre in these last 20 years. And speaking of the last 20 years, 
we are now at the number one album on my list, my favorite Deftones album, released 20 years ago and is being celebrated with a commemorative IPA and getting a deluxe reissue coming out in the next few weeks. You probably know what I'm talking about, but you know I have to keep you waiting. Stick around 10 more seconds, grab a beer, and we'll be back. And so it has finally come down to this, the number one Deftones album on my list. And it's not just me who feels this way about this album. 99% of the Deftones fan base has also said this album is their magnum opus. And I am talking about album number three for the band that was released on June 20th, 2000. Yes, I am talking about the one and the only White Pony. Produced once again by Terry Date, this was the album that changed everything for the Deftones. Debuting at number three on the Billboard 200 chart, which at the time was a all-time high for the band. Yeah, all-time high. 176,000 copies sold the first week. It has since been certified double platinum. It is their best-selling album, and it is their best album. And it also resulted in the Deftones' first top 10 hit on the alternative and modern and mainstream rock charts, Change. I watched you This was the game changer for Chino and company, and Frank Delgado was officially a full-time member of the band thanks to this album. And I'll be honest, this was the first Deftones album that I had ever listened to. I was familiar with My Own Summer. That wasn't a problem. Uh, I'd heard about it thanks to 120 Minutes on MTV, but White Pony was the first full Deftones album I'd ever listened to. I bought it on a whim the week it came out. Saw a lot of people right in the Deftones section picking that up. And I figured, all right, I'll see what the fuss is about. And listening to it on the drive home from work and heading to my other job. Holy shit. I had at that time, I had never heard anything like that before. And I say at that time because there was another album that had come out. A few months after that, Kid A by Radiohead. So 2000 was a complete 180 as far as my taste in music went. Uh, with Deftones, White Pony, and Kid A by Radiohead just constantly in my CD player at the time, I was hooked. This 
that the both bands were the future of music as we entered 2000 and it also resulted in the first ever grammy award for the deftones for best metal performance for the song elite did it deserve it uh take a listen I'll be honest, I can't remember the other nominees for that performance at the time, but it was a safe bet Deftones deserved it. I will also add a fun fact as far as this performance goes. They weren't at the, they weren't in the front of the stage to accept. They were in the back, in the barricade. So when Deftones were announced as the winners, the band leapt over the barricades to accept their Grammy for Best Metal Performance. Uh, the downside to that is... Sadly, that was one of those events that was not televised. Damn it to hell. Well, Grammys on TV tend to suck once in a while, pretty much anyway. But that would have been a Grammy moment there, leaping over the barricade to accept your award. I love it. And this song in general is just pretty damned heavy. All Music's review of this album said that Deftones had gone soft. When you listen to Elite, how can you tell, right? <laughs> but in an, in, in an impressive way to twist around its signature punk thrash sound. And I thought, compared to most new metal albums at that point, uh, Deftones did it correctly. And there is really not a single bad track on this album. You can listen to it all the way through. And it feels like an event. Uh, a lot of highlights on this album. The production is just fucking solid. The lyrical content, the instrumentation, the mixing is incredible. But highlights on this album include the haunting knife party, which surprises me has not been used in a horror movie yet. <laughs> It also includes a woman screaming in the instrumental break about 30, 45 seconds later into the song. It is just haunting. It gives you, it really gives me chills listening to this. And if you've listened to the song in full, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, despite Change being the big hit off it, it wasn't my favorite song on the album. Uh, the other highlights gotta say gotta give it up for passenger which is just a kick ass tune and it even helps that you have tool and perfect circle frontman maynard james keenan doing the chorus for the song
just haunting, sexual, scary, just a solid fucking album from start to finish. It is probably one of the best albums of the 2000s and easily one of the best albums of 2000 for sure. And as I said before, as I said earlier, there were softer sides, including this little jury number, Teenager. And songs on here that also stand the test of time on here, uh, Korea was another interesting one. Uh, RX Queen, which features uncredited backup vocals from Scott Weiland, uh, are on here. And I have to talk about one other song that was another hit on off the album, Digital Bath. This was a lot different compared to earlier Deftones. And from the first track, Fatishira, leading into Digital Bath, you knew you were getting something special from this band. Drums from Abe Cunningham are just on point with this song. I will easily say that this is probably my favorite Deftone song ever. Digital Bath is just so fucking brilliant. It's bas- Imagine Radiohead covering a metal album. It would sound like White Pony. But the thing is, the only band capable of putting out an album like White Pony is the band featured on this week's episode. Deftones. There is one downside to this album. It was not from the original release. This was part of the re-release from November of that same year. The uh, Maverick Records demanded, demanded that they add a new track to the album, Back to School, Mini Maggot. I'm not going to play it. The song sucks. I liked it at the time, but the only reason they were forced to add a new single was because they wanted to compete with Limp Biscuit's Chocolate Starfish in the hot dog flavored water, which at that point had sold one and a half million copies the first week. And Deftones was slowly sliding off the charts, mainly because of this. And with Hybrid Theory, Linkin Park, they the record company felt a new metal track, a Limp Biscuity tune would benefit white pony in the long run well uh it sold pretty well for a while and then it went back downward because let's be honest mini maggot not a good song now the closing track on here pink maggot which was essentially the original version of back to school damn solid and a great album closer Thank you. 
mini maggot back to school as it was in parentheses, or I'm sorry, mini maggot was in parentheses. Back to school was the actual track. What you just heard was pink maggot. That was that was the perfect song to close with. Essentially, back to school was a rework of pink maggot, and it opened the album as opposed to Fetisher, which opened on the original release. Totally not worth your time. The one thing I regret about this album was parting with the original release just so I could get the re-release, including which included Back to School. Uh, yeah, my mistake. I'm so sorry. But what can you do? It is hard to... The original version is hard to find now. I believe on eBay, I found it for like 50 bucks. Amazon had it for like... a. 10 bucks, 10, 15 bucks more. Uh, so yeah, it's out there, but they want an arm and a leg for it. So my loss, nonetheless, there's nothing wrong with just simply skipping back to school just to start off with Fetishira. It is a great album from beginning to end. And honestly, White Pony is what got me hooked on Deftones. I have been a fan of this band since. And clearly... Everybody else feels the same way. It is celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. It is coming out with a deluxe edition with demos, B-sides, including a track that was on the European release. Include uh, The song was called The Boys Republic. That's going to be included and available for U.S. sales. And Belching Beaver Brewing Company has released a beer to commemorate the album's release white pony ipa i'll tell you i i'll be honest i have not had a chance to try that yet but i do recommend the phantom bride ipa and dia de los deftones just incredible but we're not talking about beer on this episode this is a music show uh at the end of the day white pony much like the ipa i'm sure is just it ages beautifully it is one of the best albums of the Deftones career. It is one of the best albums of the 2000s. And it is my favorite album from the band itself. White Pony, number one, no question. Oh, man. Wow. We finally did it. Another episode in the books. But before we go, I'll give you a recap of my ranking of the Deftones albums. At number nine, I have 2006 Saturday Night Wrist. Adrenaline, their debut album from 1995, comes in at number eight. Gore is at number seven. Their self-titled release from 2003 coming in at number six. Around the Fur at number five. Koi no Yokan at number four. Their latest release, Ohms, at number three, Diamond Eyes at number two, and number one from 2000, still their masterpiece, White Pony. Well, there you have it. That is my list of the Deftones albums from best to worst or worst to best as we came across at the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Deftones fans, I, I know you're rabid and loyal, and I appreciate that, but please... Don't get mad at me if your favorite was not my pick for number one. It is my list. You've got yours. I'm sure your list is just as good. And I thank you all for listening. 
Listener support is greatly appreciated. Leave reviews on Google and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Anchor, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash randomalbum. You can even donate as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, Listener support. Tell all your friends about this show. Have them listen on Anchor, Spotify, Google, Apple. Word of mouth is greatly appreciated, as is listener support. Leave reviews on Google and Apple, like I said. And leave messages on anchor.fm slash random album. I do play the messages regardless if they're positive or negative. You're all recognized as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's going to do it for random. Until next week, I am BC saying the world is your oyster. So whatever you do, get out there and shock it. Goodbye, everybody. You may think this idea is dumb. Well, you're wrong. It's actually random.